Good morning, everybody. Welcome on this beautiful fall day to, to worshiping the Lord together. As we come into worship this morning, I have a scripture from Psalm 98 that's on my heart. It says, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blasts of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Heavenly Father, you have made your salvation known to us, and for that we are grateful. We are grateful. We're grateful for the way that you have shepherded us and called us to yourself. We're grateful for you remembering your promises from our first parents to the nation of Israel to us. You remember your covenant. And because of your nature and your faithfulness, all of those covenants and promises are yes and amen for us in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being so comprehensive in your salvation. Thank you for seeking and saving what is lost even today. For anyone here who is feeling lost, for anyone here who is actually lost, I pray that you would meet them today as we worship you and come before your throne. <clears throat> that we would, we would remember just how accessible you have made yourself by your own choice, that you, though you are God Almighty, high and lifted up, you have, in humility and gentleness, come to us with the, with the invitation of the shepherd, Jesus Christ. Come to you as, as your people, the sheep of your pastor, this morning to worship. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take a little bite out of God's word this morning. How do you like that sound? Just a little bite from our, our series in, in Thessalonians. So this is uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 13 to 17. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. Because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word, of mouth, or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. So today's, today's scripture and the, and the message I'm going to attempt to deliver you from, from the heart of Paul, which he wrote down in a letter and sent to the church in Thessalonica, is this one big exhortation, this one big thought. It's stand firm and hold on tight. 
That's what he says in this passage. If you, that's what the literal translation would be. Stand firm and hold on tight no matter what's going on. In February, we had the really last-minute privilege of visiting New York City before everything happened. And that makes me sad to think about now. But, uh, boy, it was, it was wonderful. And uh, I hadn't ridden on the subway in quite a while. And so I'm looking at my phone, and then it starts, you know. <laughs> and I didn't have hold of the bar, and I kind of stumbled. I almost fell to the ground. You got to stand firm and hold on tight on the subway, right? It's a real jolt. And I think that, you know, this church is going through a jolt. Which church? Thessalonica. And us, too. As individual households and as a church, we're going through a jolt um, in our lives. And, and it's like that, that, that subway car starting up really quick. If you're not holding on tight and standing firm, um, you can fall over. I also remember when I think about standing up and holding on tight, you know, if the first example is, is what we need to do, this is an example that's a little bit different. I remember three years ago, I was in a terrible car accident where someone ran a stop sign and pulled in front of my car. And I hit him going 55 miles per hour in the driver's side and the back door combination and just was a terrible accident, told my vehicle. And I can picture very clearly and I remember very clearly the smell and the feel of the airbag opening up and, and the glass and uh, the smoke and the fire. And um, my body remembered later on, you know, I had a bruise where the seatbelt was and my waist and my, and my chest but I felt the restraint of the vehicle, and I felt the, the loving embrace of the airbags, which is a pretty loving embrace when you're in a car accident. And uh, I got out of that accident unscathed, and, and, and the 80-plus-year-old uh, woman who I hit, who had run the stop sign, came out unscathed, and she never drove again, because her family had been trying to find the right time to talk to her about not driving, I guess. Um, so praise God for that. The next week, I believe it was, it was almost two weeks after that, I got a, a notice in the mail, your Toyota Matrix's airbags have been recalled. <laughs> so I was like, oh, maybe I should bring my car in and get this fixed. But thankfully, mine, uh, mine did not kill me. They saved my life. But that's a different, different kind of jolt and a different kind of protection. That's a protection that is, is sort of passive. You put your seatbelt on of memorization of what you do when you walk into a car, and then it, it's there when you need it. The airbag's there when you need it. And so uh, there's, this, there's this sense in which standing firm and holding on tight is not just us holding the pole and getting the right stance in the subway car, but it's also just how God is, by his grace, peripherally protecting us as we are passively walking around like zombies. Stand firm and hold on tight. It's both something we do and something God does for us. And for Paul, there really is no... He doesn't really feel like, we, we feel very much like, well, is it God's work or is it our work? Is it something I need to do or something that God will do? We're very much like that, but for Paul, it was very seamless. He didn't see a contradiction or a problem with it being all God's work and we have to do something. We have a problem with that as Westerners, but Paul did not. We have to hold on tight and stand firm, like on that subway car, and God is like an airbag and a seatbelt at times, and he compassionately holds us both through our stance and through his protection and touch. Today's passage uh, we, we read has a lot of our DNA in it as followers of Christ and as new life people. And every year when we release the budget, I like to, I like to go back over our DNA and it's so appropriate here with this particular passage 
So before we, we really get into looking at this a little more closely, I wanted to talk about who we are and who we are as Christians. So for the first thing that we say at New Life is upward, inward, outward, and, I, and we have added together. It must be all four, and it must be in that order. Some of you old school New Lifers are like, there's only three. I add together to the end. So upward is we connect with God individually and corporately in word, worship, adoration, fellowship. Inward is we submit ourselves then to God and allow him to work in our lives. And then we also submit ourselves to one another in small groups and in, in worship out of reverence for Christ. The outward is we take to the church and to the unbelieving world uh, the message of God's love, hope, and grace as transformed people. And this is a message that Christians need to hear as well as non-Christians. We have to preach the gospel to each other uh, and to the world. And together, this is the part that we added, we come together in family-like community because this is God's vehicle for grace. God's vehicle for grace is family-like relationships among the church. That's why we're called a body of many parts because we're supposed to be like a really close family. And we do this corporately as we gather according to Acts 2.42, in the temple courts. That's like our Sunday morning. That's like what we're doing now for word, worship, and prayer. And we also do this house to house as we gather in a group of believers in a small enough space to really be known by others, remembering that our lives are really group projects, not individual endeavors. And we cannot obey or follow Jesus or look like him unless we place ourselves in that community. So upward, inward, outward, together. It's our great church-wide rebellion against the lie of the enemy that we are never going to look like Jesus. That our church is not going to look like Jesus and that we are not going to look like Jesus. God, we are destined to look like Jesus in our own unique way. Each one of us in every church is destined to look like Jesus. We have bought into this lie. It's not going to happen. But it can happen. We do this corporately in the temple courts. We do it in our houses in small groups. And the truth in God's word is that through this, we can become people that look like Jesus. You know, the, the term Christian was applied to, to, to the church from the outside in. People on the outside of the church, the original church, started calling the people Christians, which means little Christ. So apparently, people on the outside of the church who knew Jesus' reputation or knew him personally were calling his followers little Christs. That's pretty cool. They look like Jesus. We can look like Jesus too. We don't believe the lie that we can't look like Jesus. And so in taking the name of Christ, of being a little Christ, a Christian, we're called to reflect the courageous, compassionate heart of Christ, which is really the heart of God for the world, for all of humanity, for, for our fellow believers, and for people that don't know God, that he is the good shepherd. So all that we do as a church body, we want to flow out of the upward, inward, outward, together directions, and they're all scripturally derived. Our core values, and I'm going to go through these a little more quickly, lost people, number one. Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. He leaves the 99 to find the one. He leaves the healthy to find the sick. That's just how God is. I like that song. That's just how he is. Prayer. Prayer is our primary work as the people of God. Stewardship. Everything belongs to God. We are only caretakers and stewards of what he's given us. God's word. Knowing and obeying God's word is fundamental to all true success. Great Commission, completing the Great Commission will require the mobilization of every fully devoted disciple. Empowered, without the Spirit's empowerment, we can accomplish nothing. And finally, faith-filled risks. Achieving God's purposes means taking faith-filled risks 
this always involves change. So with all, all of these background of who we are and what we're doing in mind, let's go back to uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 17, just for a little while, and look about how it tells us to stand firm and hold on tight. Let's start at verse 13. We'll read the first couple verses here. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And through belief in the truth, he called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He chose you as his firstfruits to be saved, that you might share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. What this really speaks to me so loudly of is that core value that lost people matter to God. He wants to find them. Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. The beginning of our passage today, uh, and is, is for these, this original audience, but also for you who follow Christ in our day, uh, maybe everyone here needs to remember that you're here because God cared about you when you were lost, and he compassionately went out searching for you like a good shepherd who left his 99 safe sheep to find the one who was lost. That's the heart of God, and that is also uh, still what God is doing, looking for, seeking, and saving the lost. And in this passage, specifically, Paul is saying that God had a strategy when he saved these Thessalonian Christians. And I will say to you that God has a strategy when he saved you. And his strategy was that they would be the first fruits, it says, that they would be, God chose them to be the first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. These people, uh, this, this passage is saying that these Thessalonian Christians were the first fruit of the work that God wanted to do in that region of Thessalonica. It was just the beginning, and God chose those people to then become people that seek out and save the lost on Jesus' behalf. So in the same way that God chose, uh, chose patriarchs like Abraham in the Old Testament, in the same way that God chose Israel in Deuteronomy 26, 18, it talks about this, to be a kingdom of priests unto God and to be a blessing to the whole world. So God has chosen the Thessalonians, these particular people, and God has chosen us here at New Life to be emissaries of this kingdom, to be people that bring the good news of God's love, hope, and grace to a world that needs to, to hear about it, because lost people matter to God, and he wants them found. We, it doesn't end with us. We are the first fruits. Every time God's people have decided God saved us so that we could sit and be saved until we die, church has gone downhill big time. God didn't save you as an end. He saved you as a means to an end. It's both God doing work like the airbag and the seatbelt, but it's also us holding fast, holding fast and standing firm it's both Jesus reaching out to us and then us reaching out to others. Uh, and God is reaching out, and Paul wouldn't have a problem with this. God is, God's power is reaching out to others through us, and it's a seamless kind of transaction. But make no mistake about it, your salvation is a first fruit of a work that God wants to do. Just the first fruit. Just the first fruit. You're not meant to go to seed, you know? You're meant to um, plant seeds, not go to seed. That's pretty clever. I'm going to write that down. So proud of myself. You're meant to plant seeds, not go to seeds. That's our Facebook clip on the advertisement, right? Um, I'm not that cool. 
So this is cool. Paul has no tension in this concept of being both the first fruits and then having them go out and look for people, it being both God's work and our work. Lost people matter to God. Lost people need to matter to us. We are only the first fruits of what God wants to do. And God's Spirit is looking for lost people to be found all the time around us. And some of your fellow Christians are rather lost. God also wants you to find those people. So it starts at the church. It starts with you. It continues in the church. It ends in the world, who then becomes a part of the church. You see how this goes. Lost people matter to God. Second Thessalonians 2.15. We'll do 15 through 17 just to finish out this passage. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast. Stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. So, when it says in verse 15, Brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Paul is talking about the apostles' teachings, which are based on, of course, the Old Testament and then some original teachings the Holy Spirit inspired. When Paul says, hold fast to our teachings, what he's saying is, hold fast to this scripture we're giving you. That's what it means for us. Because we don't have apostles writing Bibles anymore. The Bible is completed. Cover to cover, the Bible is completed. We're not writing any extra books. If anyone writes an extra book to the Bible, they get, they get in trouble with everybody. Whether you be a conservative type of, type of Christian or a liberal type of Christian, whatever kind of Christian you are, most people get in trouble for stapling things to the back of their Bible and calling it part of the canon. But when Paul was still alive, the teachings and traditions he was giving to these new believers that had not been written down yet in the Word were the Word of God to them. They were the Scriptures to these people. So what Paul is saying is, hold fast Stand firm to the canon teachings, the Bible teachings passed down to you, whether they be words we spoke, letters we sent, or things we said. Hold fast and stand firm. If you will remember from a couple of weeks ago, we learned that this second letter to the Thessalonians was in response to the Thessalonians freaking out because they thought Jesus had come back already. And they were very worried and unsettled. It actually says they were unsettled and alarmed and they were getting uh, nervous about whether they had missed the boat, so to speak. And uh, so Paul is saying, in order to avoid that unsettled and alarmed feeling, don't listen to people that aren't telling you the truth. Listen to the apostles. Listen to the scriptures. Hold on to them and stand firm, and you're going to be fine, no matter what crazy teaching comes around. And there's lots of crazy teachings to go around. There's lots of crazy teachings to go around, both within Christianity, outside of Christianity, just in popular, popular thought. And there's lots of crazy teachings going around. And the apostles' advice is, if you don't want to become unsettled and alarmed every five minutes because something happens in your life or you hear something that contradicts something you believed before, then you need to know the word, stand firm, and hold fast to the word for dear life. Because, the, you know, the, the train car is going to jolt. The car is going to crash. God can protect you, but your part is to hold fast and stand firm. It's both and. And many of us have not. We can remember specific times when we have not held 
fast and stood firm, and we still got through by God's grace because he's an airbag and a seatbelt. But that's not the best plan. The best plan is to work together with God to grab hold of the truth, the truth, and stand firm and plant your feet and put out all the lies of the enemy with the word of God. That's the best plan and the best way to be successful. And if you um, remember our core value, God's word, knowing and obeying God's word is fundamental to all true success. The inbreathed word of God, the words of the disciples and the apostles, and the words of the Old Testament uh, have been put together for us in this amazing and accessible book, the Bible. It's the inbreathed word of God that says in scriptures of itself, in, in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hold tightly, hold fast, stand firm to the words that were originally given to you. And for us, that's a direct translation for us. It's the word of God. Stand firm, hold fast, know what they say and hold on to them. Because in our day, we have so much um, selective readings and twistings and turns. We have to know the word and we have to stand firm or we're going to become unsettled and alarmed, just like the original readers did. It says in 2 Timothy 4, just after that passage from 3.16, expounding on this idea of Scripture, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. There's plenty of teachers to teach the wrong thing or to lead people astray. We have to be holding on to the word, standing fast, on the word. And the great thing about the word is it's not as dogmatic as we think it is on a lot of things. One of the great things about the word is to know what it doesn't say because when you're in a religious context and people are putting rules on you that are not something God actually requires of you, you should know the word then too. But the word does have a lot to say about specific things that are pretty indisputable and it's good to know those things and put them into practice. Uh, if you know the book, you can be someone who, if you now, notice our core value, knowing and obeying the, the word is fundamental to all true success. If you know the book and you obey the book, and again, this is, a, this is a living, breathing type of situation where God's Holy Spirit is speaking to you and guiding you and growing you, um, you're going to be successful if you obey the word of God ultimately. That's what's going to happen. It might not seem that way in the short term, but it will be that way in the long term. I love this uh, passage from Ephesians 4.14. It talks about, I don't have the exact quote, but it talks about being blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. How do we not be blown around when the jolts come? It's by standing on the Word of God. I love this section from an Anglican prayer book. It says, Blessed Lord, who has caused all the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise heart hear them, read them, mark them, learn from them, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of the word we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Talk about a vivid description of reading, marking, treasuring, consuming the Word of God. I think it's a beautiful sentiment. 
People that know the word inside and out but don't obey are dangerous. They puff themselves up with knowledge. They win all the Bible quizzes. They win the game shows. It's the people that obey the word that are successful, though. And um, one might deceptively look like the other. But if you know the word, um, it's one of those things. More than an intellectual exercise, but an act of obedience and transformation. Because it's not just about obeying the word. It's about being transformed by the one who speaks it. As strange as that sounds, all scriptures are God-breathed. The word is translated to in-breathed. God breathes through these words still. They still speak. They still speak. It's an amazing, amazing gift we have in the Bible. So we're rebelling together against this lie that we cannot look like Jesus, that we can indeed be conformed to God's image. It can happen. But in order for that to happen, we can't just sit in the car with the proper seatbelt on. We have to grab hold and stand firm to the Word of God. We need to know it. We need to digest it. I think, and I, I know I'm beating this drum a lot, but not just personally, but in a group. In a group of people, you have to read and digest the Word. And our small groups are designed that the discussion is happening by reading Scripture because we have a book we're reading that's not the Bible. The author's suggested course of study is to read the book understand it's only a book, read Scripture and discuss the book through the lens of Scripture. And so this is the, this is the, the method. And digesting and understanding uh, the Bible in a group of people is so very important. So very important. It's not always enough to really get you moving to do it by yourself. So my, my challenge to you is, based on this Scripture, so then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. And for us, it would be the, it would be the scriptures. Stand firm and hold tight. And when the jolts of life come, you're not going to be knocked over. Knowing that lost people matter to God, he wants them found. And if you're lost in your life and you can't find your way and you are concerned that God can't forgive you, can't find you, can't see you, can't bring himself to relate to you because of what a terrible, despicable person you are. Know from the word of God that that is not God's heart towards people that turn to him. It's just not. And um, you will find Jesus gentle, humble, and lowly. And I'm amazed, I was amazed to hear it during the ordination service for Aaron Koonsman and Corey Prothero before they left us. Last year, our, our district superintendent, who is like our bishop of our denomination, came here and preached a sermon, and he said, an amazing, it's an amazing thing that when someone comes to Jesus in humility and gives their life to Jesus, he turns around and begins to serve that person. That's what Jesus does. Think about the, 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 the Last Supper. That was the text. Jesus, the, the highest teacher among this group, took off his outer garments and stooped down and washed his disciples' feet. And uh, that's, that's how you will find Jesus. We live under a friendly sky. If you are sincere, if you are humble, if you come to God, just wanting to, wanting to receive his salvation, to connect with him, to hear from him, he will by no means turn anyone away who comes to him like that. Of course, we, there's many examples of people that don't come to Jesus like that, and you can read about that in the Gospels, and it's pretty... He's pretty good at talking to those people too, but it's not as fun. It's much better to come to him in humility and find the grace. 
<clears throat> Please pray with, pray with me as uh, Julie comes, and we'll have a, a closing chorus. Father God, I, I thank you for your word. Even, even this week, God, looking at this passage, asking what, what is it you want to say to your people, and just finding so much depth in it. Uh, it's such an amazing discovery every week to preach your word, to, to prepare to teach from it. And I'm so challenged by what I find every time. God, I pray for your people, Lord, that we would be a people who hold fast to your word that we would not be dogmatic about things that are inconsequential, but that we would hold on to the things that are consequential with both hands, with a good stance, um, as if you were not there to catch us, knowing that you really are. Um, let us hold tightly to your word um, and walk without being alarmed, without being fearful, in perfect peace, just like Jesus. And let us become like Jesus and look like him as we walk out this journey of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Please receive this benediction. To the one who is able to keep you from falling, to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Lord and Savior, who has all power and wisdom and majesty, both now and forevermore. Amen. You are dispersed. Go and be the church.